Welcome to Grace Presbyterian. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we're finishing a series on some of the major warnings for the church throughout Scripture. Today's topic is a message on greed. We will see how we are called towards contentment, both individually and corporately as a church. Thanks for listening. When I was a schoolboy, this time of year was one of my favorite times of year because we got to go to the pumpkin patch. That was that was fantastic. Uh, Mom would give you a couple of dollars and you got to go and pick out a pumpkin. Well, I remember this one time we went to the pumpkin patch down in Wisconsin and uh, they had a table of these little gourds that were left over. Anybody have these in their house? Decorations for the fall, right? Well, there was a sign next to it that said free. So what do you think I did? I, I, I had to get over there before anyone else did. And, you know, I started to do this right here, you know, and you would see how many... You carry right because if it says free, you know if you don't if you don't get it, someone else is going to get there before you do so. So what I found is pretty soon I had my hands uh, I had my hands filled, and I noticed as I was walking, my shoe was untied. Well, uh, what good do you think I could do then? And uh, what, what good do you think I could do if somebody else needed a hand or uh, so, something else needed to be opened or I had to pick up something else? I, I was stuck because I frankly I'm a little stuck right now actually. <laughs> I was in trouble because uh, my hands were filled. What causes this to happen is something that's incredibly dangerous for the church. Uh, we've been in a series, uh, I'm calling Caution, Let the Body Beware. And, and we've seen, as we walked through it, the dangers of false religion, our self-made righteousness, and uh, the, the dangers of division, doctrinal division in the church. This morning, we're going to look at the Danger, And I have to bring the caution to the church this morning that one of the things that will cause us to come completely stagnant in our passion for God and our effectiveness for ministry is greed. It's greed. Greed is a, a terrible thing. Um, there, there's a definition that I put here. I said greed is a weed growing in the garden of your effectiveness for ministry on earth. It will choke the life out of your fruit-bearing ability. Greed is a weed growing in the garden of your effectiveness for ministry on earth. And like a weed, it will choke out the life of your fruit-bearing ability. The problem with greed is that our stuff begins to own us instead of us owning our stuff. And the more that we chase after it, the more we need to keep it up and keep it going. I found this picture I thought was uh, adequate for greed. This could have been any one of us, right? Uh, I have a two-year-old, and, and I never taught her this word. I, I don't know where she learned it from. Mine. Do you ever hear a little kid? Mine. Mine. And we have, I have a little niece, and she's one year old, and, and there's the toy. And guess what word my little daughter is teaching my niece? And my sister rolls her eyes at me. Stop letting your kid teach my kids all these terrible things. Uh, mine, yeah. And, and that, that's each of us, right? At some point, uh, and maybe presently in our lives, uh, it may not be a doll, but maybe it's something that you are just wanting to hold on to. And when it comes to sharing, when it comes to looking to serve, you got that look in your eye, like, don't come near this. Like, I'll serve you, Lord. I'll go this far, but only this far, because I'm really in love with my things. Because the problem with greed is that it is a weed growing in the garden of your effectiveness for ministry on earth. And this weed will choke out the life. Your ability to 
produce fruit. You could get more cars, but cars need routine maintenance and accidental maintenance. You get bigger houses, but houses need cleaning and costly updates. Clothing needs to stay clean and in style, right? Uh, phones, boy, Apple's always making a new phone, right? That's just terrible. You've got to get a new phone, right? Phones need to be updated, and computer software needs updates, and software updates, and hardware updates. Uh, just this past week, we have a television, and it... It would turn on, and then it would turn itself right back off. And then it would turn on and off. I couldn't get it working. And so uh, I bought the two-year warranty. The, you know, would you like the extended warranty? Yes, I would. And I got that. So I went online, and after what felt like kind of a lengthy process, at the end of it, they said, well, it still may be covered under your manufacturer's warranty. Call this number. So I get on the phone and call the number, and uh, the lady on the other end was very polite. But what felt like an hour and a half walking me through all the menus to try to fix this television Because you know what happens? Our stuff begins to own us instead of us owning our stuff. A couple of things on greed. Uh, You don't need to be rich to be greedy. That's not a requirement. You you don't have to have a big bank account or a giant house in order to be called greedy. Uh, In fact, here's a good definition of greed. Greed is the direction of your heart's attention. Greed is the direction of of your heart's attention, what it looks towards. I want to do a little experiment here. Um, I had a professor in college that helped me with this, stuck with me my entire life, and I want to share it with you. Uh, look down at your belly button. Just just glance down. Now, nobody pull up your shirts. Just, you know, we all know where our belly buttons are. Just, just glance down at it. And, and uh, no, notice a, a couple of conclusions as your head goes down to look towards your belly button. Number one, you become over-concerned with your own appearance. Right? If you're looking down, suddenly you say, oh, look at the mustard stain. Look at, or, oh, boy, i got to buy a new, or maybe, you know, because your focus comes down towards yourself. This is what greed does, because greed is the direction of your heart's attention. And if you're looking at yourself, well, you, you're going to become overwhelmed with your own appearance and your own sake and watching out for number one, and me, myself, and I. Number two is that because your attention is turned to your own appearance, suddenly you will have a misappropriation of your resources. If my attention is looking down, I'm going to start to spend on the thing that I'm seeing at, on the thing that I'm looking at. And then thirdly, and this is what I think is probably the most devious of all, is that as you look down, your gaze suddenly is inward such that I no longer see anything that's going on outward. I now miss out on my true purpose on earth because my gaze is so very focused down towards myself, staring at my own belly button, looking after my own needs, and then using my resources to meet those needs. Secondly, and as a pastor, I've got to tell you this. Hear me loud and clear. Greed is a sin. Greed is a sin. In fact, Jesus will speak more on the topic of greed than he will on prayer. The Son of God in the Gospels, speaks more on the issue of greedy hearts of mankind because it's systemic across the board. 100% of people, that this is how we feel. This is how we grew up. No one had to teach me to say, mine. We, we all have that natural within us. And you have to hear this. Like gr- Greed is not something to wink at or look, oh, that's them again, and that's how they are. No, listen, this is how God looks at it. It is a sin. It is a sin that becomes brokenness. For ministry and brokenness for effectiveness to bear fruit in this world. Listen to what, uh, even outside the Gospels, listen to what the Apostle Paul says 
In 1 Timothy 6, 6, he says, The love of money is the root of all evil. Notice it's not money is the root of all evil. It's what? It's the love of money. It's, it's the direction of your heart's attention. It's what you love. It's what you want after. But it's the root of what? All evil. Yeah, you need to understand that greed is a sin, folks. It's not something to take lightly. And it's, it's a caution that we need to bring before the church. That we would understand that this is not a warning that we can take, take lightly. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with the sexually immoral people. Now, easy enough for us to recognize, yeah, that's probably sin, right? Right after this he says, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy, or swindlers, or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. So, I'm not preaching this passage, but you've got to understand it. He's not saying stay away from people in the world. That's what you're called to. You, you need to be light in darkness, right? But this is what he says. Here's what I mean, verse 11. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or a sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or a slanderer or a drunker or a swindler. Do not even eat with such a person. In the way in which Paul many times couples uh, the vices of our existence in pairs, the two pairs that he puts together here, sexual immorality and greed. It's a sin. God hates greed. We all fall short of knowing how we, like following Jesus' example, need to love others more than we love ourselves. But this direction... This looking to ourself automatically causes us to no longer look to God. I'll, I'll serve you, but not if you take this. Or, or, or I'll love you, but only this far. Our goal this morning is to look at two different aspects of greed. Individual greed and then by extension corporate greed. I don't mean as a business, but I mean specifically greed as a church, and what that would look like. That's our goal. We're going to be in Luke chapter 20. I invite you to turn there with me. We're just going to walk through the passage quickly. And then I'm going to have two conclusions, two applications, and we're done for this morning. So Luke chapter 20 and verse 46 and verse 47. As you're turning there, let me get you a little bit of background. Jesus is speaking here to the Sadducees and some Pharisees. Um, they, they want to come and they want to trap them in a question about marriage. And Jesus gives this great answer. I mean, he just wows them. And uh, Luke records uh, in, the, uh, in verse 39, he says, Some of the teachers of the law responded, A well-said teacher. They're like, hmm, that Jesus, uh, he was spot on today. They, they're, they're buttering Jesus up a little bit here. And Jesus knows it. Jesus knows that they're kind of doing this wormy, slimy deal. And so he brings up this next topic of humility within leadership, this idea that David could call uh, his descendant Lord, even though it's his son. And it's, he brings this up. It's really confusing for them. And then in verse 45, he says, While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware the teachers of the law. Remember, these are the guys that just were like, oh, that's a good answer, Jesus. You answered correctly. And now he says, beware that them. Watch out for them. They like to walk around in flowing robes, love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have the most important seats in the synagogues 
In the places of honor at the banquets, they devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. I simply want to bring out the six things that Jesus mentions here in this verse. Six things for us to, to look at. Number one, uh, these guys had flowing robes. Do you see that in the text? They love to wear these long robes. Jesus says in Matthew 23 to these Pharisees, he says, everything they do is done to be seen. They make their flacerates wide. That was this, uh, this little thing they would wear on their foreheads that had the copy of the Torah in it. Well, they would make it, I mean, you couldn't take a little one. All right, people need to see, man, I wear that thing right here. I mean, everybody can see. They make these wide. And then he says, and the tassels on their garments are long. Woo! Look how holy I am. Just look at me. They like to wear these flowing robes and walk around. You know what that is? That's, that's people who like to get attention from others. And that leads to unnecessary spending on outward appearance. You want others to know how special you are. Um, any of us fall in that category? Have we ever thought, yeah, man, I'm just look all extra time in front of the mirror? Well, first of all, some of us need to spend more time in front of the mirror. <laughs> but there are others of us who carry around a mirror in our pocket. I'm looking at the prettiest man in the whole world. What's the direction of your heart's attention? It's looking at yourself. And if I, we were to go and look in, in your closet, you know, you, you've got more clothes than anyone could ever possibly wear. And you've got, you got the catalog slipping through the season's latest trends. And, and you know what that is? That's, a, that's an over-occupation on self. I want people to look at me. I want to have the attention. All right, second, they, they love to be greeted in the marketplaces. Love to receive special attention. Ooh, oh, hello. I see you at Walmart. And they make their trip all the way across the aisle. Good to see you, Pastor. That's fine if you're doing that out of your own heart, but that's not what these guys are doing. They wanted this. I'm reminded of when I was in high school. You know, you start out as a nerdy freshman, right? But then you get four years into it, and man, you're that cool senior after four years. You know, you can walk in with your sunglasses on, winking at the principal as you walk in. <laughs> strutting down the hallway. You know, what's up, coach? And you're sitting at your locker. I mean, you're, you're there. You've arrived, right? Well, then you graduate. And I go back to my high school in Florence, and I walk in, and nobody, nobody cares. Nobody knows me. The secretary asks me to sign in. What's this business, right? I, 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 lo- I love to have what? Attention. That's what I love. I love to have my, my ego stroke. You know, that people would want to look at me. Be greeted in the marketplace. That's what these guys were doing. That's what they loved. In fact, they would go to lengths such that people would come and, and would pay them honor, would pay them homage. Again, the direction of their heart's attention. All right, number three, they like the most important seats in the synagogue. Uh, that, that you know that is that's being a control freak is what that is, because if you sat up front in the synagogue, you you were the one to whom maybe you you had. Does anyone have any? And you could. I'm not picking on my front row people here today. This is not church front row people. They would come to the front such that they could rule within the service, such that they could have a say in it, rather than sit in the back and let the Holy Spirit move. You know they had to control. I got to be a no. That's that's the wrong passage. You got to turn the page or open the scroll. Whatever it is that they would do, they, they had to be in control. They loved the most important seats. 
They were watching out for me, myself, and I. Now, what if there was someone else that couldn't see very well? What, what if there was someone I needed to come closer? Right? Well, no, too bad. No, that's my seat. Now we all kind of have our seat in church, right? <laughs> we all kind of have our seat. Well, I'll get to you that on another Sunday. That's a whole other sermon. <laughs> I think of, uh, the closest thing I can think of this is parking spaces. Do you, do you ever know somebody that you go to Home Depot and there's plenty of spaces towards the back, but no, we got to go find the one right by the door, and we're going to go around again and see if we can get one. And Now, some people need that space. Right? There are legitimate people who have a hard time walking. Save that space for them. Look, you, you would probably need to exercise more anyways, right? So go park towards the back somewhere. But you know what that is for the most part? That's you looking for who? Well, I gotta get it. I got someone else is gonna get it, right? Someone else may steal it first. You wanna have it, and you're watching out for yourself more than anyone else. Alright, number four, they love the places of honor at banquets, right? Sitting at the at the head table. Right? So when the food comes out, oh, oh it's here, oh okay. Someone's gotta start, right? I I guess I'll just uh, yeah, that's fine if that's you, right? But that's not what these guys were doing. They would go and they would try to put themselves in that place. I recently had my father's funeral, and, and downstairs in the church basement, we had a lot of food. And of course, you get down there, and you know, folks are like, "Well, who's gonna who's gonna start?" And yeah, look, it's my dad's funeral. I'm going first. I don't care. Someone's got to start, right? But that's not what these guys would do. These guys would go to your loved one's funeral and they'd be like, "Ooh, just gotta slip in here." Get some of these deviled eggs before they're gone. <laughs> Someone's got to start. They love these places because they're looking out for themselves. The direction of their heart looks to themselves. Number five, they devour widows' houses. Uh, a lot of commentary on this, but it's simple enough to recognize this is pure selfishness. This is covetousness. Th- this is the one... Who's, who's watching, you know, Mrs. Jones and Mr. Jones. Oh, Mr. Jones is getting old, but he's got that good-looking boat in his yard, right? And, you know, and uh, as soon as that old guy kicks a bucket, I'm going to go make her an offer. She can't refuse. Why? Because where, where are you looking? You're always looking to get for yourself. Oh, man, that's awesome, right? And so when the husband would die, that poor, poor widow, she'd be devoured by these guys, like vultures that come in. Man, Taking it all for themselves. Looking out for number one. And lastly, lengthy prayers. We kind of saw this pattern already at the beginning. They stand, and Jesus will recognize this in other places in the Gospels, right? They stand and say, oh Lord. And make these long prayers. So what? Everybody passing by would be like, whew. I mean, I love God, but I can never do that. That guy is really holy. That guy is righteous, right? Listen to his prayer. I mean, when I pray, I... You know, I, I just stumble. But listen to him. Woo! You got to... Look, if you're gifted with prayer or speaking, well, use that for the glory of God, but that's not the case here. These guys were doing it so that people would be really impressed with them. Well, you must have got some education. That's good. That's a good prayer. All right, here's, here's my conclusion. Uh, just two points. As we look at all of these different aspects of the the way greed can worm its way in, especially with people who are religious. We're talking about the Pharisees here. They fall into two categories. Here they are. People who love to be seen and people who love to have. That's it. So people who love to be seen, 
You've got uh, the flowing robes, right? Ooh, look at me. You got greeted in the marketplace and you got lengthy prayers. Boy, they just love to be seen. And that's the way in which greed manifests itself. And the second category is they love to have things, right? They love to have the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to have the places of honor at the banquets. And they love to have whatever the neighbor has. And they devour these widows' houses. This is the form with which greed will take its shape in your life and in our church. I have two applications on these topics. Number one is this. You need to live. You need to live such that people are more impressed with Jesus than they are with you. You need to give in such a way that people leave more impressed with the King of Kings than with you. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 6. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This past week, I got to take... uh, my, my wife, she went to the Beth Moore conference. It was in Chicago. I'm happy that she got some time away. She went with my mom. My sister got to go too. And guess who got to do the... Mr. Mom, watch the kids. So, whew, say a prayer for me. I, I even forgot. What was I talking about? I totally forgot. Like, that just spaced me just now, talking about watching the kids. It was a long week. Um, you got to give me a second here. Where was I? Oh, reward, give in full. So I took her out to eat before this. So before she left, we went out for lunch. And we went to Pizza Hut. And uh, as we're sitting there and we ordered, the waitress, she comes up and she says, um, are you guys having a good day? And we're like, yeah, we're doing good. Normally they ask, do you need some more Coke? But she says, are you having a good day? And I said, yes. And she said, I just want to let you know, someone has paid for your meal. And my first instinct is to say, thank you. Like, who, who did that, right? And she said, I'm not telling Come on, lady. Right? I mean, uh, you know, wh- wh- where do I turn my thanksgiving to in that case? Right? Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Let your giving be in secret. And then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Right? That's not how we like to go, though. Oh, no, I want to put my name on the... Like, oh, I'll donate the money, but make sure you put a plaque on there. Right? You, that's your reward. That's it right there. And you're leaving having people think highly of you missing the opportunity for them to think a lot about Jesus. So this is number one. When you give, whatever you do, leave the situation. Leave them such that they are more impressed with Jesus than with you. I'm so grateful to be your pastor. I really am. And I've got a long road still of of learning how, how to really fit in perfectly here, although I feel very, very welcome. But don't think for a minute that I am something special. I know better than you the sin that infects me. And I have no glory that can be ascribed to me save for that which comes from Jesus Christ my Lord because I have an awesome God, church. I'm going to say that again. Ready? I have an awesome God, church. Amen? And you need to make sure that even as we worship here that we all leave more impressed with Jesus. In fact, this is a problem for churches too. Sometimes churches can spend a lot of money I'm making some amazing, glittery, glamoury things. And people say, Woo, did you see that? 
stained glass window? Did you hear the choir? Did you listen to the bells chime? Right? If anything that we do here causes people to leave to be more impressed with Grace Presbyterian, you failed. People need to be impressed with Jesus Christ. That's what they need to be impressed with. And it is that weed of greed that will work within us. And it will come within our sanctuary. It will come within our congregation as well. And we'll miss it if we're not watching this. So we've got to caution. You've got to be careful. Jesus tells us the words, verse 46. Beware, because this is what will happen. You will want to draw attention to yourself. Matthew 5.16 says this in the same way. Let your light shine before others. Right? Church, should we be doing good things? Say amen. Yeah, we should be doing it, but finish the sentence. That they may see your good deeds and glorify my Father who's in heaven. See, that's where the praise goes. You know your sin. I know my sin. It's not, it's not me that's worthy of praise. Have I told you the story about Carl Cooner yet? This 86-year-old man when I taught in the island of St. Martin. I'm teaching down there and he's driving me to class back and forth. Just this old, wrinkly little dude. I mean, he was awesome. Always smiling, could barely see over the steering wheel, right, driving me to class. And on the last, on the last uh, day that I was teaching, I turned to him, I said, Carl, you're a good man, I told him. I'm getting out of the car, and he grabs my belt, and he pulls me back. He says, Ryan, I am not a good man. I have a good God. I am not good. My God is good. And I'm like, I didn't mean it like that, Carl. Like, I mean, he was so in tune to recognize how quickly the flesh would turn the attention of my heart back to my own belly button that he wouldn't even let me pay him that praise. Are we that quick? Are we that responsive to the Holy Spirit? Jesus says there is none good but God. Now, okay, so first of all, let's not be foolish about this. Don't be dumb, right? If, if someone comes and if you tell me, oh, Pastor, that was a good sermon, I'm, who knew it's praise to Jesus, not to me either. Right, all right, so don't, don't act foolish about it, right? But be very careful that the things that you do are not to get praise or to be seen by men or cause people to be impressed with yourself. And as much as you have opportunity and if you find yourself in that situation, tell them politely thank you and praise God for that. Because you know your heart. I know my heart. All right, so number one, leave people impressed with Jesus, not with you. Number two is this. Start to downsize your stuff. I mean, that's pretty simple. Richest nation on the planet. We got a lot of stuff. I see some of the, some of the, yeah, I mean, did you hear the pastor? We got a lot of stuff. <laughs> Culture is the opposite on this, right? You go and they ask you at the drive-thru, would you like to supersize that? That's what the world thinks. Because greed is woven into the heart of the world. Every one of us lived there at one time and we still struggle with it. It's a sin before God. But we live in a world that's backwards to this. The problem is that your stuff begins to own you. And it moves your dependence on it rather than God. This is what Jesus will say. Easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get to heaven. Why? Here's the reason why. Because the rich man don't need God. The rich man's fine. It's the poor man that's on his knees. It's the poor man that's begging the Lord for help. Lord, give me this day our... Daily bread. Let's see it not so with the rich. Your stuff begins to own you. It's like the story Jesus tells in Luke 12, right? The guy who had so much grain. Man, look at all the grain I got. I better build what? My barns are too small. I better build some bigger barns. Right? And then I'll live and take life easy. And guess what? That night the Lord said, your life's demanded of you. 
Your stuff begins to own you. Secondly, it trains your heart to love stuff. I knew a guy in a, in a Luther, there was an artist, that he loved this artist, so he kept buying the paintings. Pretty soon he had more paintings than he had wall space. Hang them on. Because he got consumed by it. Your greed changes how you think. And it burdens your stewardship. You get too much stuff, God expects you to take care of your stuff. right? You, you get too much, and suddenly you might find that you're a poor steward of it. I went to... Uh, Storeheims in Iron Mountain the other day just to get ice cream. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm one of these people that a little lactose intolerant, right? I only need a couple scoops. Even with dessert, I don't need too much. Now, some of you are like, no, man, give me ice cream, right? <laughs> well, I don't need that much. Well, this, this sweet gal at Storeheims, I ordered a small. You know how big a small is? This is a small, right? This giant heaping ice cream. I'm like, come on. What am I supposed to do with all this ice cream? I can't eat all this. And some, some of our houses look like that. Some of our garages look like that. Some of, the, some of the stuff that we have is just overflowing that you don't even know what to do with it anymore. So here are some ideas. Ready? Number one, I said this. Have a garage sale. Right? Uh, there are people who need stuff uh, maybe that you don't need so much anymore. Downsize your stuff. All right? Get rid of it. Number two is this. Stop looking at your neighbor's stuff. That's sin as well. That's coveting. Like, I need to get that jet ski. I'm, I'm seeing it parked outside, right? Fall's coming, winter's soon around the corner. The jet skis are for sale. Can I get an amen on the jet skis? Nobody else? No? Just me? All right. Uh, four-wheelers. I see the four-wheelers, the side-by-sides, driving all the time. Ooh, look at the Look at that. You know, it's, I would love to get my hands on some of this stuff. Stop looking at your neighbor, right? The, the more that we compare ourselves with what our neighbor has, the more that we think that this is something that we need to get in our life will become like this luggage we're carrying around because greed is a weed that affects the garden of your effectiveness for ministry. And it will choke up the life of your ability to, to produce fruit. And then uh, remember, number three, remember that you're just passing through this world. Every time I struggle with greed, I have to go back to this one. Because there's a lot that I still wish for. My, my heart still like stuff of this world. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I have to work on this. I, maybe you're all perfect here this morning. I struggle with this, right? But it always comes back to me that, look, dust to dust, ashes to ashes. You came into this world with nothing. You leave with nothing. And we're just passing through. I found this as I was looking, doing some research on it. It says, greed. Because he who dies with the most toys... Wings. You've heard that before, right? Bumper sticker. Anybody here listen to 50 Cent, right? Get rich or die trying. Nope, nobody. No, that's good. Right? He who dies with the most toys wins. Well, then I soon found this one that came after it. Check this out. He who dies with the most toys still dies. That's the truth, church. That's the truth. How foolish. How short-sighted. What if hate to say, but what if we failed at this? What if you failed to have a pastor that came and said, hey, you got to watch out for greed. you gotta, you got to watch out for this. As a church, we got to watch out for this. We need to make sure that when we give, we give in such a way that people aren't singing the praise of Grace Presbyterian donated all this. What? No, Jesus Christ is the one that you're impressed with, right? When we give, I don't want the glory for it. As we as a church don't want the glory for it. When people look at you and look at what you have, are they more impressed with you or with God? 
And your effectiveness for ministry, and I've seen churches do this, because what happens is you build this huge place, and then you get all this stuff, and then you've got to hire this person, this person, pretty soon your programs run the church, and the church is like, well, guess we're stuck here. And what happened to reaching the world? What happened to being light on your feet? And we got a purpose for why we're here. The sermon series that we're going to go into next week starting is the purpose of the church. So that's where we're headed for the next couple Sundays after this. But I want to leave you with one final thought. Proverbs chapter 30. Fantastic, fantastic little nugget right at the end of the book of Proverbs. Hold on to this one today. All right, here's what it says. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. And give me neither poverty nor riches. But give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who's the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Awesome little nugget, right? That, that should be part of all of us. The Apostle Paul, he says, godliness with contentment. Contentment is a great thing. This is what we need to pursue. Two, two things for you today, right? Leave people such that they're more impressed with Jesus than with you. You and I, were temporary. He's eternal. You and I are contingent. We, we're needy, right? He's the giver of all life. Push people towards Christ. And secondly, just for the sake of our own our own heart, and the baggage we carry through this world, look to downsize your stuff. So some of you thinking right now about garage sales, yard sales. I love that. That's good. Whatever you got to do, get, get your eyes off your neighbor's stuff and remember that we're just passing through this world. We're only passing through. Let this be our prayer as we end this morning. Father, we ask that you will help us to keep lies and falsehood far from us. And that you will neither give us riches nor poverty, but give us this day our daily bread. We ask, God, that you will have us to be made the kind of people who will be content in this world, seeing your hand of blessing as we walk from day to day, but never holding on to those blessings in exchange of the gift for the giver. And help us to point this world towards you. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.